The signs are everywhere. Where to go. What to do. When we miss the signs in our daily lives, the results can be troubling. But when we know where to look, when we know what to look for, then the signs that are all around us can tell us so much about ourselves. As we walk through the Gospel of John, we ask, what does this book of signs have to say about the direction of your life? What signs might you have missed? How is God trying to reach you through His Word? Hey, good morning, everybody. Good to see you. Good to see a full house here this morning. We are so glad that you're here. And again, if you are visiting with us today, if this is your first time, if you're just kind of feeling things out here, we want you to know that you uh, are welcome here, and we pray that you have felt welcomed and included and loved. I pray that you feel encouraged uh, and challenged uh, in our our place today. If you're just joining us or getting up to speed with us, uh, this little intro video kind of casts the vision for this current sermon series that we're in. It's called Signs of the Times. Everybody say Signs. Signs, and that's a really important idea in the Gospel of John, is that John is writing and using all these different metaphors and illustrations and images to point us to Jesus. And sometimes Jesus just uses them himself to point people to himself to say, I am the one that you're looking for. I'm not just another teacher. I'm not just one more moral opinion that's out there in culture. Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life, and I, I want you to be pointed towards me. That's John's ideal. And so we, idea, we've been exploring these different signs, and that's certainly true today. In fact, speaking of life-giving drink, life-giving water, I'm just going to make you really thirsty for those of you that like Gatorade here today. This is my favorite uh, color. It's called Cool Blue. And so uh, I don't know if you remember, I asked you this question at the beginning, but can you remember the time when you have never been more thirsty Remember that time? Maybe it's after a workout or working out in the yard or maybe after a hike or uh, you ate a bunch of popcorn or salt or something. Does anybody get really thirsty after eating pizza or am I the only one? Okay, I just must be weird. Uh, you, you know that feeling of being really thirsty. I just want you to think about that right now. We want to kind of get our senses moving this morning. You just feel kind of dry and parched and just like, man, I would do anything for a cool glass of water, Right? I would do anything. I would do anything for just any kind of cool beverage. We all know what it's like to be parched, to feel dry in a, in a physical sense. But I wonder, have you ever felt dry in a spiritual sense? Some of you are like, I'm there right now. That is, that is me. Maybe in your marriage, in your friendships and community, as we've already talked about this morning. Or maybe just in your own walk with God. Have you ever felt parched? You ever felt like things are a little disconnected? Like, man, you could just use some refreshment? You ever go into a time with God and just be like, man, this isn't what it used to be. I don't have that intimacy that I used to have. I don't have that, that childish, childlike faith that I had when I first came to faith. You ever feel that way? And you want to get that back? Like you just need a cool glass of water. You, you need some refreshment. 
And we go through these seasons in our lives, and it's not bad to go through those seasons. It happens, we're human. The question is, when you are thirsty, not just in a physical sense, but in a spiritual sense, how do you replenish yourself? How do you quench your thirst? I don't think it's any accident that Gatorade's registered trademark copyright tagline here is the thirst quencher. And I can't think of a better title for our story today. Jesus is the thirst quencher, and the way that we get there may not be what you think. The thirst quencher. Nobody knows that better than the woman at the well. If you have your Bibles, I want you to open up to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. What is it like to be very spiritually dry and very spiritually thirsty? We're going to discover that and how we can get filled back up today. John chapter 4. We're going through the gospel of John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the four gospels, and it's kind of the back third of your Bible, if you're new to the Bible. John chapter 4, the gospel of John. In Jesus' day, when people were thirsty, they didn't uh, go to the faucet. They didn't go to the supermarket. They didn't go to Casey's to get a Gatorade like I did. They didn't exist. They didn't go to Starbucks or Caribou or wherever your favorite choice is. They would walk for miles, usually unless you were very wealthy in a well-to-do household. And you would, you know those pictures you see of people, you know, on TV or National Geographic and they're walking with these big stone jars or these big pots on their head. Maybe they carried them like that or maybe they had them over their shoulders uh, as you see. Uh, go ahead, go to that next slide. Yeah, something like that. People would travel for, can you imagine the weight on your shoulders? Much better get going there than coming back with the water on your shoulders. And so the nearest well was sometimes two, three, four, five, ten miles from where you live, depending on how remote your house was. And so because this was such a grueling task, it was given to the servants. It was given to the slaves, or in, in usually because they were seen as inferior to men, the women. And so usually gathering at these wells, you would see a bunch of women gathering around with their big pots that they had walked miles to get, and they would do this every single day. Just as ordinary as it is to stop for a pop or a coffee at the gas station or stop for gas, that's pretty much an everyday thing for a lot of us. This was an everyday thing of going to the well. It was simply ordinary. Nothing could be more ordinary than going to the well until this day, until this day. So let's dig in and start at verse 4. If you're there, say, I'm there. John chapter 4, we're actually going to start at verse 4. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came down to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, doesn't it good to know that even Jesus got tired once in a while? Hang in there. Sat down by the well. Okay, let's back up a second here. First of all, everybody look at our amazing Jacob's well today and go, ooh, go, ah, you're thirsty, maybe you want some of this, right? So this is going to be our well today. It probably looked a little bit different in Jesus' day, but we got to stop in the story there. There's a few things you got to know. There's about 20 things. I'm just going to talk about a few of them. There's about 20 things in those three verses that for a Jewish man to do are completely unacceptable, completely counter-cultural. First, verse 4, he had to go through 
Samaria. A lot of times when you read those things in the Bible, some of you that aren't like history buffs, you're just like, oh, whatever, they're in some weird town or country I can't pronounce. This means something. Check out this map up here. Go ahead and go to the next slide. So Judea is where the region where Jerusalem and uh, Jericho, you've heard of that, are kind of down south, and you've got the Jordan River running there on the right. Then you've got Samaria. There's Sicker, where Jesus stopped, and then all the way up to Galilee, the region of Galilee, where Cana, that's where Jesus turned the water into wine. You've got Capernaum up there, and you've got Nazareth, where Jesus is from, okay? So that's the route that needs to be taken, and so if you were traveling this journey, how would you get from Judea to Galilee? How would you get from the green to the green? You would need to travel through Samaria, right? It's like if you're going to go from here to Ames, you probably need to pass by Ankeny, right? If you're going north, it just kind of makes sense. You don't go out of the way unless you're a Jew, unless you despise Samaritans. So people, what they would do is Jews from Judea on their way up to Galilee, whatever reason they're going up there, they would actually go east of the Jordan River. They were walking. They were on donkeys. They were on camels. This was like a couple days detour. And you get frustrated when you have to take a detour that takes 10 minutes, right? This is a major detour. Why? Because they couldn't stand the Samaritans. They had this incredible disdain, even to the point Jews would call Samaritans half-breeds, incapable of receiving God's favor. The problem was what happened is years before, Jews that were living in Samaria, they kind of spread up through the region there. They had married into other cultures, and so the real Jews, or the pure Jews, as so they called themselves, thought that Samaritans were now half-breeds. They kind of sold out on the pure Jewish faith. And so they just couldn't stand Samaritans. That's kind of a hard thing for us to understand of like, why would somebody marrying somebody else and all of a sudden they're less of a human or something like that? I was trying to think of a way to understand that. So just imagine with me for a second that Judea is where we are right now. And let's say that uh, you are an Iowa State fan and you need to get to Chicago. And Samaria is Iowa City. So you as an Iowa State fan, dressed in all your Iowa State gear, have to spend a couple days walking through downtown Iowa City on your way to Chicago. And the ridicule that you would feel, I can just... That's not even close to a good parallel, but that's the best I could come up with, okay? So just imagine that, okay? Or Vikings, Packers, you weird people, whatever that is, okay? That's the idea. You don't want to be caught dead going through Samaria. (laughs) Unless you're Jesus, right? So they come to a well in Sicker. Why a well? Well, because Starbucks wasn't around yet, right? But seriously, a well was the closest thing that they had to a coffee shop. It was the watering hole. It was the gathering spot. And especially for these women that had traveled long distances, you wanted to hang out at the well for a while. It was a good spot to be, to be seen, to be known, right? They travel for miles. They probably don't get to see other people. So Jesus is shaking it up in that sense. Verse 7, get this. A Samaritan (gasps) woman (gasps) came to draw water. A Jew is talking to a Samaritan. Will you give me a drink, Jesus said. A couple really, really unimaginable things that Jesus just did here, right? Number one, you've heard about the Samaritans. Number two, she's a she. Jewish men 
were not supposed to be caught talking to Samaritan women ever, especially in public. Even Jewish men were not supposed to talk to Jewish women, necessarily, that were not their wife. So a rabbi, a religious leader for Jesus to do this, to not only talk to a Samaritan woman, but ask her for a drink, that means that she would touch the same cup that he was going to drink and the Jewish purity laws, and oh my, everything's going to pot. Unless you're Jesus and you don't really care what people think because you're on a mission, because he came there for a reason. So before Jesus even meets this woman at the well, she's got labels all over her. Samaritan, half-breed, impure, woman, probably slave. Have you ever been labeled? Maybe not in those ways, but have you ever been labeled? I mean, we kind of joke about that, and it seems like, oh, that's just kind of a high school thing, you know, like you get labeled a jock or cheerleader, preppy, whatever it is. But you know that those labels continue, and they get slapped on us, and we just don't think about them that much. Loser, has been, screw up, Failure, addicted, divorced, that guy, (laughs) that woman, that Christian at work. You ever been labeled that? Wealthy snob, poor person. Time out. Maybe we have more in common with the Samaritan women than we thought. Every single one of us has probably been labeled in some way. How did that make you feel when you got labeled? Because chances are you didn't ask for it, right? And neither did she. And that's the power of this story. Yet despite this woman being the most unlikely person, all those labels, all those barriers, all those disqualifications of all the people that Jesus chooses to have a personal encounter with, it's her. And he asked her for a drink. Think of the irony here. The living water. Jesus claims to be later on in the Gospel of John. I am a fountain welling up to eternal life. I'm not just a drink of water. I am the water. I am the living water. The living water asks an outcast, scum of the earth woman for a drink. Think of the power of that story of what's going on here. Wouldn't it be great if there was somebody that loved us beyond our labels? Enter the rabbi. Because there's more to Jesus' pit stop at the well than defying cultural norms. You see, there's a woman behind those labels. There's a woman who's hiding. And how do we know that? Well, there's a woman that's hiding behind her fears and hiding behind her insecurities that just happens to be here at the well. How do we know that she's hiding? Look back at verse 6. Really tiny detail, but don't miss it. What time of day did the woman go to the well? Noon. Who goes to the well at the hottest part of the day? Who travels long distances in the hottest part of the day? 
And historians will even say that there was three or four other wells that were closer to where this woman would have lived that she totally could have gone to. But if she goes to those wells, there's other people there. Avoidance. Avoidance. She's avoiding. Jesus goes right to her. Who is this woman? Someone that didn't want to be seen. Because behind the mask for her and behind the mask for us, there is a man or there is a woman that is longing to be known. That's not an event. That's not a program. That's not a church class. That is how you were created. And as much as you try to fight that, you are never going to be able to get away from that. There is a piece of you that longs to be known and accepted for who you are. If we're honest, we're no different. If we look back at our story today, one of the things that's difficult in these stories sometimes is like to put a face with that character. Oh, it's just the woman at the well, you know, and learn that story in Sunday school. It's a real person here. It's a real person here. And some of you feel, I don't know, like nobody ever really notices you, like you're just a face in the crowd. Not to Jesus. And there's this incredible way of telling this story that, I don't know if anybody of you ever has heard spoken word, but this woman put together this story about what, what might it have been like to actually hear from the heart of this woman before she even talks to Jesus, who is it that's walking up to the well that day? And I want to give you a picture of this. Watch this next video and check out what might have actually been on that woman's heart that day as she was hiding behind her mask. Let's take a look. I am a woman of no distinction, of little importance. I am a woman of no reputation, save that which is bad. You whisper as I pass by and cast judgmental glances, though you don't really take the time to look at me or even get to know me. For to be known is to be loved, and to be loved is to be known, and otherwise what's the point in doing either one of them in the first place? I want to be known. I want someone to look at my face and not just see two eyes, a nose, a mouth, and two ears, but to see all that I am and could be, all my hopes, loves, and fears. That's too much to hope for, to wish for, or pray for, so I don't, not anymore. Now I keep to myself, and by that I mean the pain that keeps me in my own private jail, the pain that's brought me here at midday to this well. To ask for a drink is no big request, but to ask it of me, a woman unclean, ashamed, used and abused, an outcast, a failure, a disappointment, a sinner. No drink passing from these hands to your lips could ever be refreshing, only condemning, as I'm sure you condemn me now, but you don't. You're a man of no distinction, though of the utmost importance, a man with little reputation, at least so far. You whisper and tell me to my face what all those glances have been about, and you take the time to really look at me, but don't need to get to know me for to be known is to be loved, and to be loved is to be known, and you know me, you actually know me, all of me and everything about me, every thought inside and hair on top of my head, every hurt stored up, every hope, every dread, my past and my future, all I am and could be, you tell me everything, you tell me about me. And that which is spoken by another would bring hate and condemnation. Coming from you brings love, grace, mercy, hope, and salvation. I've heard of one to come who would save a wretch like me. And here in my presence, you say, I am he. 
To be known is to be loved, and to be loved is to be known. And I just met you, but I love you. I don't know you, but I want to get to. Let me run back to town. This is way too much for just me. There are others, brothers, sisters, lovers, haters, the good and the bad, sinners and saints, who should hear what you've told me, who should see what you've shown me, who should taste what you gave me, who should feel how you forgave me. For to be known is to be loved, and to be loved is to be known. And they all need this too. We all do need it for our own. So maybe, just maybe, there is a little bit more going on in this story than we think. Behind every person, behind every situation, behind every issue, there is a human being. And that includes you today. And to be known is to be loved, and to be loved is to be known. That's a powerful statement. I mean, to really be known, like, past our labels for who we really are. Are, and I think the big fancy church word for that is grace. I've had the opportunity to officiate a lot of weddings this summer, and one of the things I love to tell couples is that you will experience no greater picture of grace than marriage. Because it's two people saying, I'm going to choose to accept you just as you are. That's a powerful image, and Jesus offers every single one of us that same grace. It's what our leaders talked about earlier today, is being known, being in community. But it's for this woman, it's going to take some pursuing because although her bucket, her physical bucket, is full of water, she's really, really empty on the inside by what we understand in this story. In fact, in the next several verses as we get to know her, We find that there's several areas of her life that she just keeps coming up dry, that she's got a few buckets in a spiritual sense that she's been trying to draw out living water from life. We all have buckets, don't we? We all have vices. We all have places that we run to to try to find life. And so out from the prop room, we discover that the Samaritan woman has three buckets, and they probably didn't look like this, but there's a point to what they look like. There's three buckets in her life, things that, ways that she's been trying to scoop up this life-giving water and find life in God. The first one is simply the bucket of routine. Everybody say routine. The next bucket is simply that of relationships. Everybody say relationships. And the last one looks a lot like my wife's strainer, and it's the bucket of religion. Everybody say religion. So we've got three buckets. What are yours? Where do you run to try to find life? So for this woman, the first is the bucket of routine. We've already heard that this woman does the same thing every day. She goes to the well every single day. And after Jesus offers her his living water, verse 13, uh, in verse 13, watch what she says then in verse 15. Skip ahead. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back here to draw water. She is tired of going to the same well every single day with her bucket that she thinks is going to fill her up, and little does she know, well, it's got some holes in it. Well, that didn't work so well, and it just falls right out the bottom. And it's the same for us when we have this bucket of routine. 
we get a glimpse into her heart for the first time. She's not tired just of the walk to the well. She's tired of the routine of going again and again and coming back every day and trying to get filled up. What's your routines? And I'm not just talking about like the, the good, healthy routines that we get into, but what are the things that you go back to again and again and again? For some of you, the reality is that is your job. That is your place. And even if you are a stay-at-home parent, we can get into routines, can't we? And you feel like I just do the same thing every single day. It's just this cycle. Maybe it's that job that, that started out as a joy and now that your job is just a ladder to climb. Or maybe your, your job is now for the sole purpose of I got to make more money so I can keep up with the Joneses. I got to keep up with everybody else. Or maybe that job is just an escape because what's waiting at home is a marriage that needs work and it's kids that need love and you have refused to enter into those situations to be emotionally present for your family. Because it's a lot easier to move into the routine of 40 hours, 50 hours, 60 hours, 70 hours a week at work. And we rat all the time on people that are, that are alcoholics or that are uh, on drugs or whatever the, the addiction is and just as serious, if not more serious, is those of us that sometimes struggle with being workaholics. We get into these routines and we go back to the same well. Maybe if I just work a little bit more, maybe if I just make a little bit more money, maybe if I can just keep up with all those other people that are in the same season of life, maybe I'll get filled up. It doesn't work that way. It just keeps <laughs> leaking. The bucket of routine just doesn't do it, and we're still empty. Or maybe that routine bucket is one of physical appearance or the latest fad or the newest style and, and whatever that routine is. And the message is keep up. You got to keep up. You got to be that woman. You got to be that guy. You got to be that parent and do what all the other parents are doing. So keep up with the routine. Maybe it's a hobby. Maybe it's a hobby that started out as good and healthy and has become all consuming. And Jesus comes to you today and says, Did you forget? that I was your first love? More than sports, more than athletics, more than exercise, more than whatever other hobby you have, that I'm the first love that informs everything else? Maybe for you it's the routine of pleasure. So I'm just going to keep running back to those same sites on the internet over and over again. I'm going to run back to that drink or I'm going to run back to that TV show just so I can get a little kick and get lost in somebody else's life for a little while so I don't have to deal with the reality of my own life. What is your default coping mechanism when life gets hard? What is your default coping me mechanism? Of course, the routine bucket it always leaves us empty. That's the routine bucket. And if that doesn't work, then a lot of us go to the what kind of bucket? Remember? The relationships bucket. Oh, that's good and it seems nice and healthy. Back to the story. Look at verse 16. Jesus got to know this woman a little bit more. In verse 16, he says, Go, call your husband and come back. This is quite possibly one of the most, oh, I don't know, heart-wrenching and yet kind of silly exchanges in all of scripture. Go call your husband and come back, Jesus says. Verse 17, I have no husband, she replied. <laughs> Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five. And the man that you are with now is not your husband. 
what you have said is quite true. Can you imagine being this woman? Busted. Right? Not just by your parents because you broke something, you broke the lamp. Busted by God. Busted by Jesus at the well. God just discovered I'm an adulterer. God just discovered I've had five husbands and I've been running around with all these different men in town. And some people, certain perceptions of God is that like, boom, put the clamp down. Sinner, guilt, condemnation. Yeah, Jesus knows her too well. He knows she's been run into that relationship's bucket over and over and over and over again. Right through the barricades, right through the the walls and years and years of shame, Jesus sees right through her. And possibly her most painful bucket is that of relationships. And I want you to hear me straight. We're not talking about good, healthy relationships. We're talking about the relationships that you go to and in your own way, you continue to run to to try to get filled up that you continue to run to to try to look for things from that other person that you should only be getting from God. I am convinced that 90% of the difficulty and the strife and the tensions that we see in dating relationships, for engaged couples, and in marriages is because we want that other person to be something that they can never be, and that's God. The reason we get in arguments and we have tension and we have fights and we have tension in our marriages, in our dating relationships, is because we don't know who we are. And our identity is not strongly rooted in the fact that we have a good and loving father, as we sang about this morning. So whatever it is, it's a friendship with the opposite sex or dating or even in marriage, it's, it's so easy to go to that other person and say, I'm going to go and look to you, whether it's intentional or not, for my number one source of love and affection and validation, and you can tell me who I am. And Jesus says, no, that's me. And I created you to have an identity as a whole, healthy person in Christ. This is what the Samaritan woman was missing. And then you bring that whole, healthy identity to the other person to love them and encourage them and build them up. And I'm sorry for those of you that are Jerry Maguire fans. But nobody else can complete you. If you're looking to your spouse to complete you, you will always be disappointed. Because they can never do that. Not at least in your soul. That's God's job. I, I wonder if maybe the, the healthiest marriages have two people that individually and then collectively are desperate for Jesus. You can be a lot of things for each other, but you can never be the living water. And the, the thing is, is that this bucket seems good, and as we go through life, for some of you, what you've experienced is Wounds, hurts, punctures, bad relationships, people that have broken your heart. You've put your heart out there and it's been stomped on and pretty soon your relationships bucket doesn't look like much and that's kind of what it was like for the Samaritan woman. And she's probably assumed, well, this is what I'm going to look like the rest of my life. And when you go to that relationships bucket and you try to have another man or another woman be the living water, well, you can guess just about how well that works. And some of you just keep going like this. And you're going to run from man to man or woman to woman 
dating relationship to dating relationship, maybe marriage to marriage, and that's what you're doing. And God says, I have something so much better for you than that. Because you think you're going to be this way forever. And Jesus says, when I say that I can give you a new heart, I can fill all those holes in your life. I can clean you up. I can make you brand new again. I created you for a purpose. And he calls her out. Jesus calls her out on this. He doesn't just say, oh, that's too bad. I love you anyway. He says, no, the reality is is that you keep going to that bucket over and over and over and it's never going to fill you up. But Jesus offers no judgments, no condemnation. Just says, that's never going to work because I'm the living water. But here's the thing. There's one more bucket and on the outside, it looks really nice. Everybody go, ooh, ah. Doesn't that look nice? This is the religion bucket. And on the outside, it looks really nice because it's religion, right? Jesus wants us to be nice religious people. Well, maybe not primarily. Check out verse 19. Okay? Check out verse 19. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is Jerusalem. This is right after Jesus sees right through her relationship heartaches, and what does she do? She brings out another bucket to cover up her other bucket. She's just had her heart laid open. She's extremely vulnerable and open before Jesus. And she brings out another bucket, religion. That'll fix it, to cover it up. Some of us never find healing because we would rather cover up our past so we never go there. And we think, oh, religion will solve it. I'll just get really busy in the church. I'll just get really busy for Jesus. The woman just got her mail read by Jesus. And then she says, you know what? You don't know everything. I'm pretty religious too. (laughs) But how often do we do the same? Some of you are at those breaking points whether you're having a conversation here at worship or picture this, you're in your small group and you're in deep conversation with a Christian friend and instead of being real and and humbly admitting your weaknesses like the Samaritan woman failed to do, you pull out the religious bucket and you say, well, this was an inspirational Bible study. Let's all be praying for each other. And oh, it was so good to see everybody. God is good all the time. God is good. Amen. And meanwhile, this is what's going on in your heart. It's never going to work, folks. There's no other way to get there. What Jesus says to the woman is what he says to all of us today. I don't want your church attendance, I want your heart. I don't want your busyness. I want you. And I don't want worship to just be one more pit stop every single week for one hour a week. I want Jesus to be the passion of your life. Because you can be a Christian in your whole life and and never come clean and never be whole. And that's what the Samaritan woman was struggling with that day. And so Jesus responds, look at verse 24. Skip all the way down to the end. He says, God is spirit. And his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. 
in truth. In admitting today that you're not a super Christian, (laughs) that no amount of Bible study or Christian activity is gonna fill you up, and until you learn to just be with Jesus. That's my prayer for every single one of you. Because although the religion bucket is nice and shiny on the outside, it's never going to fill you up. So what do we do when all our buckets leave us empty? What are yours? Maybe they're those, maybe it's something else that you continue to run to. The reality is that most of us have several buckets that we juggle and we use them a lot and so a lot of us kind of go through life like this saying well I got to use this one now and then I got to I got to pull this one out and then I got to pull this one out and then I got to pull this one out just to cover up everything that I'm feeling because I can't admit that I'm having issues and I'm struggling in my marriage and that our finances are out of whack and I don't really know what's going on and I have to keep pulling out these buckets to cover up all the pain and all the fears and all the wounds and all the insecurity and Jesus just says stop I don't want you to live like that. I want you to live like this. I want you to live free. I want you to live free. Jesus says, you don't need a bucket because I'm the living water. You don't need a bucket because I am the living water. Jesus wants to fill you up today. Jesus wants to fill you up. And there's a lot of different ways that he can do that. But first, you got to drop your buckets. You got to let go. You got to surrender. And then you got to start going intentionally some places where you can get filled up. That's why we've been talking about all these different things coming up, all these different opportunities to grow. I just want to go back to that. Let prayer change your life. Starts a week from this Wednesday. Jesus wants to fill you up through prayer. And if you've ever struggled with that, sign up. Jesus wants to fill you up through community, through other people. Group launch is three days from now. Sign up. Jesus wants to fill you up through his word. And if you're like me, you need that extra accountability during the week. Come to the Bible study on Wednesday nights. Join a small group. Get filled up in that way. Where are you going to turn this week? When you're in one of those moments and you're feeling dry and you're feeling empty, picture that. Picture the buckets. And then remember who can really quench your thirst. Jesus, the real, the real thirst quencher. You don't need a bucket when you have access to the living water every single day. Amen? Let's stand and pray together. So Jesus, we come to you today in our, in our mess, <laughs> in our buckets, <laughs> in our hiding, in some of us, some of our pain and our sickness. And Jesus, we admit to you today that we've run everywhere else except you. And God, between you and us, well, Maybe we're the only ones that know what some of those buckets are. And it's so easy to hide. It's so easy to admit that we don't have it all together, God. But we just say that we need you. 
that you are enough, that you are that good father that we can turn to. God, some of us are dying of thirst, not physically, but on the inside. So we come to you. We come to you in prayer. We come to you through your word. We come through to you through other people. Today in Jesus, we just say, fill us up. We're so thirsty. Some of us, we're so dry. We're so parched without you. Would you fill us up to overflowing? Fill us up to overflowing so that just like the Samaritan woman, when we get filled up and when we experience the living water, there is nothing that we would rather do. The most natural response for us is to go back and to tell our friends and family and to tell everybody that we meet, I found him. I found the living water. I found him. You've got to find him. You've got to know him. I pray that that would be our, our heartbeat this week. Jesus, as we reach out to the world around us, share the everlasting love of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said together, amen. Amen. God bless you. If you're thirsty, go get a drink. Go be the church. We'll see you next week.